Welcome to another episode of the American Truck Driver Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Polk, alongside Larry Long. We are going to talk about fuel today. It's a very important expense in the trucking industry. It's one of our biggest expenses, and there's some aspects of fuel that we don't have control over, but there is a lot that we do have control over. Before we get into the subject, I wanted to talk about something. We have a hotline. This is something that I set up a couple years ago and then forgot about until someone sent a text to it the other day. But I'm going to give you a number, and with this number, you can send us text messages, call and leave a voicemail, and uh, it's a good way to get in touch with us. Uh, If you leave us a voicemail, and it's good quality, we can use it here on the show uh, and, uh, and play it back so we can bring your questions to everyone who is listening. That number is 413-248-7825, 413-24-TRUCK. So write that number down, and if you have any questions you'd like to text to us, we can read those here on the show, and we can also play your voicemails. Fuel. It's a big expense. It's about the biggest expense, that and the driver. Uh, I wish we had as much control over uh, drivers as we do fuel. There's two ways to look at this. One is how and where you buy fuel, and the other is how you consume it. Those are the two variables that you have control of as a truck operator, and that's where we're going to start. So, Larry, why don't you go ahead and jump in on where we need to where we need to begin here um, on buying and consuming fuel in the most efficient ways. Okay. Well, on last episode, we talked about how to survive and thrive in a down rate market. And one of the biggest ways to affect that is fuel because it is simply a series of decisions. If you're not aware of the consequences of those decisions, then you're inevitably going to spend more for fuel than you really need to. So we really break this, um, this strategy down, in, like you said, into two uh, different paths. One of them is how to consume less fuel and then how to buy fuel properly. So let's start out with how to use less fuel. I probably will be a, the briefer of the two and spend the rest of our time then on, on the purchase side of it. Um, consuming less fuel obviously is simply a matter of improving your fuel mileage. There's a lot of things that go into improving fuel mileage. At the conferences that Kevin Rutherford puts on called the CMC, we identified over 60 different items or techniques or strategies that you can employ that will affect fuel mileage. Some of the low-hanging fruit, probably the, the, the number one biggest factor in fuel consumption is the driver the willingness to consume fuel, and that's usually reflected in how fast you're driving, uh, how aggressively you're shifting and accelerating, things like that. So if you're not aware of your driving habits and you'd like to get more conscious of what you're doing, uh, I would recommend uh, one of Kevin's products called the ScanGage KR. It's available at I-80 Truck Stop. It's also available online at letstruck.com. And simply just plugs up into your um, ECM port, and it just gives you an instant readout of exactly what you're doing at this moment and what effect it's having on fuel mileage. 
And the drivers I've worked with uh, usually see at least a half a mile per gallon improvement just by improving their driving techniques uh, by just uh, watching the scan gauge and learning from what they're doing. Uh, Chris, I think you recently used one for the first time, and yeah. what was your what was your reaction to it, and how did you how did you feel about some of the techniques that, or habits you had had prior to looking at that? It's an interesting tool, no doubt. It gives you instant feedback. And so uh, the way I had mine set up was to read boost speed. I, at first, I had it set up to watch horsepower, but my GPS had broken. And so I just set it up to, to watch my speed, the amount of my boost, average fuel mileage, and the instant fuel mileage. I was able, with an empty trailer... Uh, when I finished my run and was headed back, I drove across the New York Thruway. And for about 300 miles, I averaged right at nine miles to the gallon with an empty trailer. With my loaded trailer, I could do, you know, eight, 8.2. And I had never done that well, but it really gave me some feedback. I've always tried, even when I had my truck back in the day, I stopped using cruise control and that helped me a lot because I realized that with cruise control, you know, if it dropped two miles below two miles an hour below what I wanted it set at, it would just go wide open throttle and I didn't necessarily need wide open throttle and I didn't necessarily need to maintain that exact speed. And so I started allowing my, my speed up and down to fluctuate, but my, my throttle input stayed the same. And so I saw a significant gain. What the scan gauge did for me was make me realize I was burning unnecessary fuel and didn't even realize it. You know, a small grade that I didn't even realize I was on, uh, a headwind that I didn't realize that I had. Um, because before the scan gauge, I was completely going off of or my ear. You know, what, sound, did, sound. You know, what, what did the engine sound like? Well... You listen to these engines make noise for enough time, and then it just starts to all sound the same. So the instant fuel mileage readout would let me know uh, instantly, you know, that I was putting too much input into it for the amount of time. I do a multi-stop run, so I've got anywhere from, you know, 13 to 18 stops a week. I have a lot of stop and go. I have a lot of getting through the gears and getting it speeding up and slowing down. And even still, I was able to do, I think, probably, like you said, about a half mile per gallon better than I normally did. And then even when I was running hard to try to get home within my 11-hour period, I could still see when I was, you know, getting on it too hard uh, for the amount of time that I was doing. So it's a very useful tool. Well, it's also very inexpensive. It's about $200 for the scan gauge. I mean, there's such a benefit from this with very little investment. You know, a lot of times when we're trying to make modifications to our truck to, to you know, to help fuel, fuel mileage, you know, sometimes those expenses are, are um, considerable. And here's one that you can do with, with hardly any money and, and has a probably the biggest impact of anything we're going to talk about today is going to be you, the driver. And if you can um, teach yourself how to drive for fuel economy as opposed to just driving for performance or whatever, 
uh, you'll see that there's a lot of savings there. Now, we've got a driver new to our fleet that comes from, he calls himself old school. He's not old enough to be old school, but anyway, he's, um, the the point is he used to drive uh, non-aerodynamic and and, uh, um, trucks that weren't all that fuel efficient coming to us, and we're teaching him how to become an owner-operator. Some of this stuff is very foreign to him, and Mm -hmm. so... Um, as I used an example, he, I know that he had done this, uh, particular load the last couple of weeks. And, uh, so this week I actually did that load. And so I drove it, um, the way I would drive it. And, um, I sent, I took pictures of the scan gauge. I took pictures of the, of the Qualcomm. And at the end of each day, I sent him my, my results for the day. And I had gotten 8.2 miles per gallon on that load with the same payload. About thirty thousand, thirty two thousand in a box, um, and he had been he had gotten in the in the low sixes in the previous weeks he had done it. So it made a big impression on him. And then then the 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 really the the big factor was that then I did the math and showed him the difference between the fuel mileage I got and the fuel mileage he got in terms of dollars and cents. And so I said, you know, do you want to put fifteen thousand dollars? a year in your pocket or do you want to leave it at the truck stop and fuel costs and i think it hit home with him because yeah. that was the difference between how i drove it and how he drove it and it, it, it was fifty dollars a day you know is what the difference was so um so anyway that's the easiest one to do uh, well it's not the easiest it's but it's it's the it's the simplest one to do and that is to take a look in the mirror and and uh and and fix your um driving habits that are costing you money in wasted fuel. Probably the next biggest um, swing you can take at this, and this one's not going to be cheap, is uh, is tires. Yeah. Um, tires uh, are not all made equal, even within the brand. I'm a huge Michelin fan, but Michelin probably makes the best fuel mileage tire on the market, and they also make the worst. So you can't just go by brand. You have to actually go by model. And um, there's a term I want to get you familiar with. It's called rolling resistance. And uh, when you go into a tire store and you ask what rolling resistance is, don't be surprised if no one there knows what you're talking about. Um, (laughs) Because they don't really know. um, Or care. (laughs) True. And also don't be fooled by the smart way or green stuff, because that is absolutely meaningless. Uh, the process to get a tire or a product to prove smart way is, uh, is, is absolutely a joke. So, but rolling resistance is the, is the biggest consideration you should have when you're buying tires. Um, and uh, there is a number assigned to it. Now, Yokohama and Michelin both have online data available uh, Michelin has more than Yokohama. They have done testing longer and more models. But you want you could Google uh, Michelin commercial tire rolling resistance chart, and uh, you'll get there. And you'll be able to put in the tires you have or the tires you're comparing to a particular Michelin brand, and it'll compare the two. Um, and um, you'll... You may be surprised, but obviously the lower that that number is, the more fuel efficient the tire is. And so um, you, we can see, you know, I mean, from, from a really, really bad tire um, 
to a really, really good tire can be as much as a, a half a mile or a mile per gallon uh, in fuel economy. And again, over the course of the life of those tires, which could be two or three years, that is a considerable amount of money. Um, so I would say if you're in the market anytime soon for a new set of tires, use rolling resistance as one of the primary determining factors in, in, the, in, in your decision-making process because it's not just, you know, it, the, the price you pay for the tire, you, you absorb that at the, at, at the time you buy it. What you don't realize is that that tire continues to either make you money or cost you money for the life of that tire, which right. could be two or three years. So every day that tire is either costing you or making you money, depending on what the rolling resistance is, as opposed to just that one-time transaction of what it costs you for the tire. And the reason I say that is because sometimes low rolling resistance tires are more expensive up front. A set of Michelin steers are, you know, they're $600 a piece. But um, we get about 275,000 miles average out of a, a pair, and we also get, obviously excellent fuel mileage out of, out of them as well. So it doesn't really cost more. It actually costs less when you look at the spread over the cost of that uh, tire over length of time. Let's stop right there for a second because okay. I remember a time when, you know, I got probably 180,000 miles out of a set of steers and thought I was really doing something. Uh, and you just said 275. I've heard a lot of people say that 100, 125 to 150,000 is exactly how it should be. You know, that, that that's, you know, but you're talking about 40% more life. In some cases, almost 50% more life out of a set of tires uh, than what the conventional thought is. Well, part of that's the tire. Part of that's the upkeep on the tire because um, we... Um, we center uh, our wheels. Uh, hub polished wheels are notorious for not being centered. Uh, if you can stick a, the thickness of a business card in between the pilot and the hub, then that, tire, that wheel is off-center. So a product called True Balance. You can get their sleeves, which will take that uh, slack up around the studs, between the studs and the wheel, so that the wheel stays centered. Uh, and then, of course, we also use a um, uh, we we use the balance the, the beads uh, counteract beads inside the tires. Uh, some people use Centromatic, which is, is fine. Uh, and, uh, any, anything I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend lead weights um, because they're just balancing the tire itself. Where the dynamic balancers like the Centromatics or the um, balance the beads. Uh, are centering the, the, the brake drum, the wheel, the, the entire wheel end assembly. And as that tire wears down, those dynamic balancing devices continue to readjust to continue to keep the tire and the wheel ends uh, balanced and centered. So that helps a lot with the tire life. And then also we rotate our steers uh, side to side. When one side has 10% more wear than the other, and that's always going to be the right side because of the crown of the road. Um, your truck's kind of aligned to where you're sort of scuffing the right front all the time because of trying to keep the truck from running off the road because of the crown. So uh, when we see a 10% difference between left and right, then we, we, we rotate side to side to keep that wear even across both sets of tires. 
And then, of course, the final factor in that is inflation. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. A bit, uh, that's kind of a controversial thing uh, in some areas, particularly in shops. Um, but you're never going to – tires are damaged by underinflation. And uh, if you've ever been to a drag race or you've ever done any racing yourself, you realize that tire, tire sidewalls have a lot of flex in them. And uh, the least um, flex that you have in that sidewall, the stiffer that tire is, the, 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 the more fuel mileage you're going to get out of that tire because you're not uh, – the, the physics of it are you're, you're, not, you're not flexing that tire uh, during acceleration and braking. Uh, it's it's staying it's staying rigid and stiff. Uh, you're cutting down on 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 um, uh, friction. Friction creates heat. Heat robs us of uh, of, of of efficiency. So um, we would we advise you to look at the tire, um, uh, whatever the recommended air pressure is on the steer tire. We recommend you go ten pi- ten pounds above that. And um, uh, the trick there is find the shop that will do it without giving you a, a ration of shit. Yeah, but uh, you know, but uh, I, the, the best tire guy in the world, uh, his name is Mike Beckett. He owns MD Alignment. Uh, he teaches. Uh, uh, well, he's a consultant to the industry. When tire manufacturers have problems, they call him and he solves it. And um, he's the one that taught me how uh, o- what one f- some people would call overinflating tires. Is is in fact not overinflating. It's it's the best thing for the tire, and and uh, and of course what we're looking for is fuel mileage, and it's a huge fuel mileage improver to have the tires properly inflated. Uh, we also use tire pressure monitors on our truck so that we don't have underinflation and and problems with tires uh, not being serviced properly. So we know exactly when they get two or three pounds low and can top them up. So those are the reasons why we get 275,000 average miles on a set of steers. To re to re uh, review that tire, besides the driver, the tires are probably the other biggest factor in how to uh, improve your fuel economy, uh, especially if you have a tire that's a that's not a low, uh, you know a low rolling. If you don't have a fuel efficient tire, you're uh, spending a lot of money on fuel um, for no reason. Uh, we ki- we joke around sometimes at the at the conference that you know if you've got if you've got poor fuel efficient tires, it's literally cheaper for you to take those brand new tires that you've just had re- and and just leave them at the shop, get, donate them to the shop, and and buy new tires because the cost savings and fuel the first year will pay for that set of tires. Yeah, and then the next year you're going to make the money that you're going to lost with the tires that. You would have kept if you didn't if you didn't do that. Now that's a hard pill for some people to swallow, but that that is the mathematics of it. I think that's we need to kind of focus on that because if people aren't willing to do the math, which is the cost of my tires. Okay, so I'll use an example from my own experience. When I I bought uh, Bridgestones, the M710 Ecopias. Uh, which was a good rolling resistance tire, comparatively speaking. It wasn't as good as the Michelin's, but I could get the Ecopias for about $150 a piece cheaper than the single tire Michelin. 
So I got them with my LCAP discount and my trade-in. I got them for about $300 a tire. So $2,400 for eight drive tires. And the steers were about the same. They maybe $350, $375 a piece. Well, even then, even though the the Ecopia was was a was a decent tire, and I probably got three hundred thousand miles out of them, had I done the math, I would have probably seen that half mile per gallon difference with the Michelin over the life of that tire, and I have to count what that savings would be worth versus what I was spending up front for the tire. I think it's important that we talk about the fact that we have to consider the price of the tires when we buy them versus what those tires will cost us. And I and I did that when I chose Bridgestones over Michelin because they were like $150 a tire cheaper. You know, so $150 a tire times eight tires, well, I guarantee you, even though those those Bridgestones were good tires, and I had a, um, I think I had a 7.5 average that I ran in my truck, I probably could have done a little better, but I never stopped to do the math on what it was going to cost me up front versus what it was going to cost me over the long run, because I didn't feel the long run over time. I felt it immediately when I bought the tires. And your truck was the first truck that I ever drove that had super singles. And, you know, I was probably unwilling to spend the, the money up front to change from eight wheels to four uh, and do the conversion. Uh, but, at, you know, and, and of course, just like a lot of drivers I've heard, I made the same stupid excuses. Uh, oh, well, I don't, I don't want to drive super singles. What are they like in the winter? What are they like in the wet? Well, I drove your truck, and I've driven your trucks now uh, for a year and a half with super singles, and I can't tell a single bit of difference in any kind of weather, in any kind of terrain. Um, I can tell you this, now that I'm driving a truck that has duels, I wish it had singles because we're using the uh, the, the cross, what are they called, crossfires? Uh, crossfires or cat's eyes yeah, either one. We're using those, and, and I'm about to have a tire pressure monitoring system but I still prefer having four tires back there than eight. Um, and I think real quick, just for the sake of clarity, you should respond because uh, you responded to this when I asked it and you had a great answer. My, my, com- my complaint was, well, I don't want to run super singles because if I blow a tire, I don't have one more in a dual set to get me where I need to go. And your response to that made perfect logical sense to me. Um, and you should probably respond to that for everybody else because we don't have any qualms about running super singles. Um, no. and, and, and the reason we, the reason we do is because that is the lowest uh, rolling resistance tire that you can buy. Now, now Michelin does make their duels in that same model are very close. Not, not, not bad, but for the most part, uh, now, now also understand that just because you buy a super single tire doesn't mean it's low rolling resistance. Right. Because the worst tire that Michelin makes rolling resistance is the super single XDN2. So don't you know? Don't assume that that's because it's super single and it's Michelin that it's going to be a great rolling resistance tire. That's not true. The answer to your question or, or your or, the, or your statement, the response to your statement, and and I get this a lot. 
uh, and, and everybody has the same response, and that is, well, and I'm going to use my truck driver voice when I do this. <laughs> well, now when I when I have a when I have a blowout, I, I won't be able to limp that in. I don't want to be on the side of the road. And my response to that is, well, how many blowouts have you had in your career? And most people say either none or one, or I have I've had two in twenty years, or and and so my my immediate you know thought is okay. So if I'm saving $15,000 a year in fuel costs by buying these tires, and I were to have a blowout, and by the way, all, all, all the trucks that I have had with super singles, I can count on eh, probably three. Uh, I can think of three blowouts that we've had, and one of them w- was our, we, 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 we should have known it was coming because the driver drove it underinflated. But... Um, so they ha- it happens so rarely that if you can't afford to pay a service call by saving fifteen thousand dollars a year in fuel, then I don't have I don't have anything for you. Okay, right. Uh, the other the other thing is is if let DOT catch you limping in on that blown out tire on your singles and find out how much that ticket's going to cost you. So it's not it's illegal to limp a truck in or trailer in with a blown tire anyway. That that. So that really shouldn't even be an argument. But let's just say that that is the case. I still can show you, you know, I mean, numbers don't lie, okay? You'd have to have a blowout eight times a year in order for it not to be beneficial for you to have super singles in and, and, and the event that, that a blowout was what made the difference. So um, that's just, that that's somebody who doesn't want to, um, learn doesn't want to embrace technology and uh, and just want to stick with what they know, not because it's better, but that's just what they know. Right. Um, you know, we're all afraid of things that we don't that we've never tried. You know, and uh, years when I first got into trucking ten years ago, you know, super singles were not that common. Now, I mean, especially on a if you see any, uh, almost all tankers have them because they weigh much less. Forget the. You know the the the, the um, you know the roller resistance, but uh, you, the weight um, is 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 about I think it's about four hundred dollars or four hundred pounds per uh, wheel position uh, between duals and singles. So it increases your ability to haul cargo. Yeah, uh, and I can testify that in twenty two years, I've blown one drive tire. Uh, I've blown an, uh, no, no, just a crap load of trailer tires, but you know we're pretty much talking here to most people uh, operating a tractor and and probably pulling leased trailers, so they're not responsible for the trailer tires anyway. Uh, but I've blown one drive tire, and it was a piece of crap recap uh, on a company truck. I've never blown a drive on any of my own trucks, uh, company trucks, much less. So, you know, the super single low rolling resistance, you know, like you said, is worth $15,000 a year. I don't care what stupid excuse you want to make up. $15,000 a year is is enough to pay for the tires the first year, for the new wheels the first year, and any conversion that you would have to do is covered easily in the first year alone. You know, compared to running, you know, these cheap Chinese 
duels that you can buy at Love's, you know, for 185 or $200 a piece, you know, we have to, we have to think big picture and we have to consider that upfront acquisition cost of these tires. They, they also have a very good casing credit. Oh, yeah. So as long as long as you don't you know misuse the tire, you've it, it's, it's you got a return on that because when you get ready to to buy new ones, if 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 you if when you do that, you're going to have a very nice casing credit there. Now, what we do, I don't sell my cases. I I have a I have a Michelin recap uh, shop up in Indianapolis that takes my casings because I know what's been done to them, and they recap them with with the same tread that the new tire comes in same tread pattern and it has the same warranty so we'll run virgins on the first set and we'll run caps the second set so now you average out the cost of those tires over about six or seven years now and it really lowers the cost because using my casings i can get that tire uh, capped for just a few hundred dollars so it really pulls down the overall cost of that tire over two sets uh, from, the, from, from the, the virgins and then the, the caps the second time. You average that out. It's very reasonable. And it didn't even happen. But the, the fuel savings would have paid for it more, more than once. But here's a, another way of, of, of making money or saving money. And remember, this whole conversation is about how to survive in a down market. Yeah. So here, here's a decision. You can go buy stupid tires and give your money to the to the fuel stop or you can buy smart tires and put the money in your pocket and 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 now we're also by the way lowering your cost of operation and now it goes back to that strategy we talked about last time about being able to take uh, a freight that pays less and still make money with it right this all ties into that same strategy so so we've talked about the driver driver input is very important the tires we buy is very important. Um, do you want to hit on aerodynamics? Any? Well, that's next. You know, I'm doing them in order of the effect it has okay. on fuel mileage, and 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 we we just did driver number one, tires number two, arrows probably number three. Especially the faster you drive, the more the arrow becomes important. And uh, now, obviously, you know, most people aren't going to go out and change trucks because of aero but if you've got a truck uh let's say you've got a you got a mid-roof or a flat roof truck and you're pulling a drive van you know uh you need to get a hold of a, a junkyard and buy yourself a fairing for about 1500 bucks get it painted and and put on top of that truck and get it married up to that trailer you know if you don't have fairings uh around the tanks and uh you know um just start calling around at junkyards and, and buy, if you have to buy it one piece at a time, you know, get yourself a set of used fairings, get them painted, and, and get them on the truck and, and, and do everything you can to improve the aerodynamics of that truck. Um, obviously, don't do things stupid like the, uh, the bug deflector or the big wing up on top of the, you know, stuff like that. That's, that's not going to help you. And also take uh, keep the trailer as tight to the to the cab as you can, uh, so that you don't have that um, that arrow problem uh, with the ninety degree turn between the cab and the trailer. Uh, if it, you know, another product for only a couple hundred bucks uh, makes a little bit of difference is the air tabs, uh, because the way that works is um, it creates what's called a vortex. 
as the air passes through that air tab and will actually keep it from from making that 90 degree turn and creating that vacuum uh, if you're a NASCAR fan, that's what drafting, that's how drafting works, is that the second car gets in that vacuum of the first car and uh, literally pulls itself around the track using less fuel. Well, that's an aero issue, and we have those in two places on our trucks, behind the cab and behind the trailer. If you don't own the trailer, there's not much you can do back there, but you've seen, you've seen companies with the trailer tails. Uh, some of the companies have the air, the air tabs back there. But, again, that's an effort on their part to lower their fuel cost. And you can do the same thing with your tractor, with the air tabs on the uh, the um, uh, cab extenders uh, on your truck. Aero is, again, uh, probably the next thing. Again, not, not super expensive to fix, especially if you're willing to try to spend the time to find the used parts and, uh, and get them put on. Uh, buying new fairings, are, are, they're, they're a rocky world. But uh, there's lots of trucks and junkyards where, you know, that side wasn't hit or whatever. Um, the, uh, after that, we start getting into, you know, uh, very, very small uh, fractional improvements. But they are improvements. And once you start down this um, path of improving your fuel economy, it kind of becomes sort of a, sort of a challenge, you know, uh, You'll find yourself uh, getting taken up by this, and and uh, and you're going, uh, wow, I'm at seven. What do I got to do to be at seven and a half? Or I'm, you know, I'm at seven point eight. I'm gonna get to eight by God. So you, you, there's other things that that are not gonna have near the impact that the ones we just talked about are, but they do help. And um, some of those are uh, uh, if you've got a pre um, DPF emission system. Uh, you can, um, you know, do what you can to the exhaust system to take out as much restrictions as you can. If you happen to be lucky enough to just have EGR and no uh, DPF, then you can put on the um, a straight-through muffler, um, fleet air filter, uh, and improve the, the airflow through your engine and through, you know, and out the exhaust. Uh, that will help a lot. A... Um, a um, ported and hot jet coated uh, exhaust manifold. It's about fifteen hundred dollars. Uh, that will also make a huge difference in uh, in your exhaust flow, and will help um, with your fuel mileage. Uh, another thing is, um, uh, and, and and this this will help in in a couple of different ways. But uh, synthetic oil. If you if you're using a a five W forty, a lightweight synthetic oil. Um, you will obviously pick up a little bit of fuel mileage there because you've got less friction and uh, um, you know less less mechanical friction uh, in in the engine and um, the of course the um, the synthetic oil is expensive but if you're doing extended drains and you uh, uh, look into the uh, the oil purification system or some type of bypass filtration where you can um, extend the drain of your oil. Uh, then you can use the more expensive oil and pick up a little bit of of, of um, fuel mileage there. So those are the those are the things that we do uh, at our fleet uh, to uh, to improve our fuel mileage. You know, it uh, again every little thing you can do. We're, we're talking about saving money here, and we're talking about saving money so that you can afford to stay in business, and so that you can afford to take freight that previously you might thought you couldn't take, and still be profitable. 
So that's remember what our, what our motivation here in doing this is. So, so we've talked about fuel consumption, which is a big variable. We have a lot of control. We can choose the tires. We can choose aerodynamic devices. We can choose how we drive. Now I guess we need to talk about how we purchase fuel. And this is probably the most misunderstood principle on earth. I had a, I feel like I had a pretty good grasp of it when I came here and you helped give me the final pieces to give me the complete picture. I was close, uh, but I, but I, I didn't have it completely. I knew obviously I wanted to buy cheap fuel, you know, that was that was important. And so I did my due diligence to make sure that I would check with TA or Petro to find the cost plus and do that calculation versus a pilot or a flying J in our system. We have, you know, certain places have a basic discount just off the pump price. And then other places have a cost plus where you get the fuel that cost plus a couple of pennies or three pennies. So I had that half of it. Now I knew I had to buy the cheapest fuel that I could find. Let's talk about how to buy fuel and all of the considerations that we have to make and the things that we have to take into account when choosing where and when to buy fuel. Well, that discussion has to start out with a couple of premises. One is you have to understand and accept the fact that fuel prices are drastically different in different parts of the country, uh, in different regions of the same state. Uh, I've even seen them with a fuel stop on two or three parts of an exit that were as much as 50 cents difference in cost between the the most expensive and the cheapest. So if you're not aware of the fact that fuel is very, very, very volatile and 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 uh, the cost of it is uh, is not not predictable, uh, then you probably don't realize how much money you're you're spending. The what I tell my guys is, look, buying fuel is a strategy, and the strategy is not buy it when you need it. You know, if you're out and you've got to buy fuel because that's where you are, and it's 200 miles to the next exit, and you have to have fuel, probably you're not buying fuel at the cheapest price you could. Now, if that morning when you got up and you were having breakfast, and you got your your app out, and you looked at what the fuel costs along your route today, and you saw that, well, wait a minute, in 100 miles from here, I'm going to pass the cheapest fuel that I'm going to pass all day maybe even tomorrow, let me get fuel where it's cheap. Even if I don't, if I'm not empty, if I only can get a quarter of a tank, let me get it while I can. Uh, we call that fuel optimization. Uh, it's, it's buying fuel when the price is cheap. It, it, it's kind of like going to Costco and buying toilet paper by the case instead of waiting and going to 7-Eleven and buying by the roll uh, because you're out at the house. It's, it's buying it when, you, when the price is right, not when you necessarily need it. So that's the idea behind the strategy. Now, the other thing that is not very well understood is what the cost of fuel is because we have a lot of taxes that are added to the cost of fuel, and we pay them at the time that we purchase. 
So to make you understand this, we're going to have to talk about something called IFTA. And um, this is probably the most misunderstood thing I've ever found in trucking. Um, I've talked to guys that have been driving for 20 years, and they tell me um, how IFTA works. And uh, quite frankly, they have no clue. Uh, let me start out this discussion with an explanation of IFTA, because if you don't understand IFTA, you won't understand how to price or how to shop for the, for the best price in fuel. Because you've got to be able to separate the actual cost of the fuel from all the other costs that are lumped into that fuel when you actually are buying it at its pump. So, let's start down this path. First thing you need to know about IFTA is that every state in the United States, except for Oregon, I believe, uh, has a fuel tax. And this is a tax that they impose on people who use their roads so that they've got a maintenance fund to keep the roads uh, in good so shape. So they say. I was going to say, I've got, air, I've, got, I've, got, I've got air quotes going in my, right now. Of course, we all know that they've taken that money and put it in a general fund, and they use it for everything but right. roads. Um, but that's how it started. And so if you were a driver years ago and you drove in seven or eight states, you had to keep up with your miles and your fuel purchases in every state, and you had to file a, a fuel tax report in every state. And at some point, I don't know when, it was before I got in trucking, but at some point, uh, some, somebody came, the, the government did come up with a good idea, uh, as rare as that yeah. is, uh, and they said, look, this is stupid. Let's, um, let's have an interstate authority that will govern this uh, and, 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 and combine this all into one agency so that we don't have to file these uh, individual uh, fuel tax reports. So that's when EFTA was born. So what happens now is that it doesn't really matter what state you buy fuel in because all the money goes to IFTA and they dole it out. So let's let's dispel the first myth about, about fuel tax. I'm not going to say IFTA because it doesn't really matter. Fuel tax is a tax on how much fuel you consume in a state. And let's just, uh, let's, I don't even, I, I don't. I'm just going off. I, I'm, I'm, Chris, I think the in Indiana right now is one of the most expensive states. I think they went up to like um, I don't have my chart in front of me, but it's like I don't know, sixty or some cents right now. Um, so for every uh, gallon of fuel that you consume in the state of Indiana, you have to pay their fuel tax or whatever it is, forty-seven, sixty-five cents, whatever it is. Um, and so. Um, what makes it confusing, though, is that they collect it at the pump uh, for convenience sake. Uh, and so it appears to, uh, to look like a tax on uh, the purchase of fuel, but it's really not. It, it, it's just collected at the time you purchase it because that's, where, that, that's when they got you and they've got your wallet out and they can get money out of you. Uh, rather than having to chase you down when you file the report and try to get money out of you then. So you're prepaying your tax re uh, responsibility uh, every time you buy fuel at a pump. And it doesn't matter what state you buy it in. You're, you're paying into your little tax account 
And when uh, your company or if you have your own authority, whenever you file your fuel report and you report how many miles you drove in every state that you drove in that month or that quarter, then IFTA will dole out the money to that state to pay for your fuel tax. And if you don't have enough money, then they'll ask you for some. And if you've got too much money in there, they'll write a check and give it back to you. So it, 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 it doesn't really matter, you know, where you buy it and, 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 uh, and, and where you drive. Um, the, only, the only ways you can uh, affect, the only way you can, you can change the tax that you're going to be paying on fuel is by either improving your fuel mileage in your truck because it's a consumption tax. Um, they know how many miles you drove. They know how many gallons you bought. It's just simple math. It's division. So I know that if you drove so many miles and you bought so much fuel, your fuel mileage is X, okay? So the, the higher your fuel mileage is, the less fuel you're consuming, the lower your tax will be as a result of that. So another reason to work on your fuel mileage. It actually saves you money in more than one way because it saves you money in fuel taxes. Right. Well. The other way is to avoid a state. You know, if you've got a, t- a state with high fuel tax like Indiana, Illinois, New York, just don't go there. But that's not very practical because how much does it cost to drive around Indiana and Illinois and New York? So that doesn't really make any sense. So, but when you're looking to buy fuel, you have to have a way of looking at the cost of the fuel minus all the taxes. And so there's a couple of apps out there. Most companies probably have an app, you know, for, the, for their, uh, or, or, or if, you're, if you're in a fuel card system, probably they have an app. At Landstar, we have uh, a brand new app uh, that actually, uh, uh, one of the options is you can have the fuel priced without the tax. And that's what you have to have. You, you cannot make a decision about where to buy fuel if you don't know what the tax is. So, worst case scenario, you, you can go, you can Google IFTA fuel tax chart, and you can print out a chart of what the fuel tax is in every state. And if you don't have an app or you, you don't want to fool with having an app, all you got to do is look at the price on the pump, get your chart out, and say, okay, well, I'm in Illinois, and the and the fuel tax here is whatever. Sixty one. I just looked it up. Pennsylvania is the highest okay. at seventy four. Okay, so if you're in Pennsylvania and you're looking at fuel and it costs three dollars and something a gallon, then you deduct seventy four cents from it, and that's what the cost of the fuel is. Now, if you're using any kind of a Com Data Card or, or or anything like that, you're also going to be able to deduct uh, five or six cents, depending on where you are, uh, for cash equivalency. So you're paying at that point in time the, 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 what we call the marquee price, which is the price on the sign that you drive by that flashes a green or red, and, and one's cash and one's credit. Uh, as long as you're using a national fuel account card um, or cash, um, you're going to get the lower of those two prices. And, and it's, it's six cents everywhere in the country except for loves, and it's five cents there. Um, and then you deduct the fuel tax from that, and that's what you're actually paying for that particular gallon of fuel in that particular state. Now, when you do that, you're going to be surprised that fuel in Pennsylvania is cheaper than the states around it because they still had to be competitive. And so the cost of fuel is typically lowest in the states with the highest fuel tax. 
That's not 100%. And the one thing you want to do here is don't ever get in the habit of being complacent and just assuming that it's the same as it was last time. You know, uh, again, like I said before, fuel is very volatile and the prices change daily. So don't get in a habit of just buying fuel everywhere, uh, the same place every time because you bought it there last week. You need to check every day or every week and make sure that the fuel is still what you thought it was. But if you'll use an app, um, get, get the best price you can, forget the tax, uh, you'll, you're going to find that you're going to lower your fuel costs significantly. Now, in an, an upcoming uh, episode, we're going to talk about accounting and bookkeeping and things like that. We're going to show you how that, besides the cost of you, uh, fuel is probably going to be your highest percentage of revenue uh, on your financial statement. So you can actually watch this number go down as you improve your technique and your, and your, your uh, skills at buying uh, fuel at the lowest price. You'll actually watch that number go down so that a less and less percentage of your revenue is going for fuel. Again, I'm getting into a little bit of our keeping score episode, but that's a reason why we keep score is so that you know what percentage of your revenue you're spending on different things. And fuel's going to be number one. Uh, but if we can lower that from 32% of revenue to 21% of revenue, that makes a huge difference in trying to survive or thrive in a down rate, down, uh, a down, uh, down rate market. Let me jump in here because I, I know somebody is listening to this and they're saying, well, I already do that, Larry. I know about fuel taxes. I just go and buy all my fuel in this state, name the state here. Cause, and I say this because I heard one of my friends say this the other day. Well, I just buy all my, I buy all my fuel in this state, and then I don't have to worry about it. Well, you're half right. You, you can probably get away with, as a general rule, well, I'll just buy all my fuel in Pennsylvania, and then I'm covered. Well, I run Pennsylvania, for example, every single week, and I can tell you that there are seven TA Petros that I can think of right off of my top of my head that are all in the same state, and every single one of them has a different price. And it's almost consistent. Now, because I do it every week, I can, I can know that Bloomsburg is generally cheaper than Scranton. You know, but not always. But if you're running multiple states, you have to look because we both know that the TA in Jeffersonville, Ohio, is consistently just about the cheapest fuel there is anywhere that we run on the East Coast. It's always 20 to 25 cents cheaper than I can get it at my places in Pennsylvania. Well, there's where your math falls apart because we know that the fuel tax in Pennsylvania is 74 cents. And in Ohio, I believe it's 28, I'm sorry, 47. Okay, so 74.1 cents in PA, 47 cents in Ohio. Well, if you try to just say, which is what I used to do, it's where I, I screwed up, I would say, well, I'll just buy it all in Pennsylvania. Okay, well, if I was driving through Ohio up 71 on my way to Pennsylvania, and I passed by Jeffersonville and waited till I got to Pennsylvania, I would pay 25 cents at least more per gallon than I would pay in Pennsylvania. You have to consider the tax in every state, the market conditions at the time, and the individual vendor that you're going to use to buy the fuel. 
You have to look at your deal. If you don't, you're going to end up paying too much for fuel. And as we know, when we run 100 and 150 and 160,000 miles a year, 25 cents is a big deal. Well, that was my next point is that it sounds like this is like chicken shit. Okay, what's a few pennies? Right. But look at it on an annual basis. You know, how much, how much fuel do you buy all year, you know? Uh, and then take those pennies and multiply that for a year, and you'll see that it's not chicken shit. Right. Okay? Um, the other thing that made me – came to mind when you talked about your, your person wanting to buy it all in one state – here is a strategy that, and when I came to Lancer, they were teaching this at orientation. I thought I, I, I thought my head was going to explode, but they were teaching owner operators at Landstar to buy your fuel in a high tax state, and the strategy was so you wouldn't owe money quarterly when your fuel tax report came due. Of course, I don't have to tell you how stupid that strategy is. Let me let me give you a, let me give you a parallel, an example. And we probably all know this person. You know, somebody that can't save money because they have no discipline, no backbone. So they will go to their employer and have their employer tax them, you know, out the ears so that the IRS is forcing them to save money until they get a tax refund every year. So now that's, that's, that's the strategy that you're employing when you say, okay, I'm just going to buy all my, ta- all my fuel in a high-tax state because that way I don't ever have to worry about paying a, a fuel tax um, uh, bill d- deficit. Yeah, yeah bill. Um, one, one thing we found is that if you buy your fuel right, usually the fuel tax report will take care of itself. Right. You know, I have multiple trucks where we run all different parts of the country, my fuel tax report is it, it's not even it's it's not it's usually less than one hundred and twenty five dollars combined, so it's not you're not going to and, and and look even if it's not suppose it ends up being a thousand dollars if you saved you know thousands and thousands of dollars in fuel costs and you had to pay a little bit of fuel tax at uh, once a quarter again you know just do the math numbers are important. Keeping score is important. Right. These things are not about how you feel. It's it's what really is going on. So um, you know these are sound business decisions. Uh, if you if you listen to me now for the last two or three episodes, you understand that all my decisions are based on one thing, and that is the numbers. You know everything I do is about the numbers. So um, you know th- if it didn't matter, I wouldn't be doing right. it. I'll tell you that. But and, and it, it, you finally got it into my thick head. There's only two things you can do to affect fuel tax. Don't drive in that right. state. Get better fuel mileage. That's it. Because if yep. you drive in that state and you burn fuel in that state, you owe fuel tax. Period. Regardless of where you bought Regardless it. Regardless of where you bought it. If you drive in Pennsylvania, okay. you owe Pennsylvania tax for the for the fuel you burned while you were there. So if you want to lower, if you look at Pennsylvania, so well, 74 cents a gallon, it's too high. Well, your only option is to not run there or burn less fuel while you're there. And, you know, it you can't really go down to the by the day, you know, because it's, it's done on your average 
uh, the, the number of, of gallons that you bought. That's how they track your fuel mileage versus the miles that you reported. But that's it. You know, it's everything else is semantics. It's it and and that that example of paying the federal government too much throughout the year so that they would basically you were giving them an interest free loan so that they would give you a bunch of money back and you felt like you'd done something in April when you get a, you know three thousand dollars that's your money. They they just they're just giving your money back to you. So, yeah, I'll do that deal. Anybody wants to do that, I'll do that for them. Okay? Yeah. So just send it to me. I'll hold it for no interest for a year, and I'll give it back to you in April, <laughs> and we'll be buddies because that's what you if that's if you like your employer doing that, I'll do right. it. Right. Call me up. Oh, we got a hotline. Did you know that <laughs> we got a hotline. Call me up. I'll take four one three twenty four truck. Send your money to Larry, and because see, I mean, think about that, guys. Let let's just play that out. Let's say you sent Larry three thousand dollars, and he holds it for you, so you won't spend it. And he's done you a favor. Well, Larry's going to take that $3,000 and go put it in the bank or put it in an investment for that time. And he's going to make money off of you. That's the way you have to look at this. It, you know, they're kind of stealing the money from you and, and making you believe that they're doing you a favor. And they're not. And so you kind of have to look at fuel taxes this way. I hate taxation. I hate it with every fiber of my being. I want to find, definitely want to find the way to pay the least amount of tax that I can legally get away with. My only choices are don't drive that state, get better fuel mileage. If I want to stick it to Pennsylvania, then I have to burn less fuel while I'm in their state. That's, that's, that's it. Because my customer demands that I go there because they have stops in Pennsylvania and New York. And I go there every single week. So I can either tell my customer, nope, I can't do it. Because the fuel tax is too high. Or I can tell my customer, here's what it's going to cost you to have me run in Pennsylvania and New York. And then I'm going to work the spread and get better fuel mileage so that the difference between what my customer gives me in revenue and what I have to spend in fuel tax goes in my pocket. Let me also make one other point here. In, in business or in sports, or in almost any endeavor where numbers are involved, there's an old saying that when performance is measured, performance improves. So the only way you're going to really do this is you're going to have to keep score. And again, my buddy Kevin Rutherford, he has a free, always free, always has been, never will be a charge for it. He has a free app called um, Fuel yeah. Gauges. It's, uh, you can download it to your phone, and you can put in every one of your fuel fill-ups at the time you do it, and it will track your fuel mileage. And you can even put in conditions like um, the weight of your load, uh, the, the, if there's a wind. or You can put all these things in that, that, that would help you be able to look for an outlier. You know, And it doesn't cost you anything, and you can look at it, and, you, and every fill-up, I've ever had on any truck I own is in that system. So right now I could go and bring that up and I could look at any truck, I could look at any time period, any 30-day, 90-day, 120-day period, and I can tell you exactly what the fuel mileage is on that truck. So uh, that that's what you need to do if you're going to get serious about, about your, improving your fuel mileage is you need to measure your performance every fill-up. Do it at the time you do it. 
and uh, all, it's easy. All you got to do is write your, your odometer mileage on your fuel ticket. And then uh, if you want to note your, uh, the weight of your load, if you want to use those other uh, parameters, those other tracking parameters, um, and, and, and you'll start to get excited about your fuel mileage, especially as it improves. Look, there are people out there that have gone. There, there's a, there is a 9-plus group on Facebook. There's a 10-plus group out there. Those guys are in rare air. Oh, yeah. Okay? There's a guy I know, Steve Cron, that has averaged over 10 miles per, per gallon for years. Years. Um, so, uh, you know, it, it, you, you can get taken in by this and it becomes sport, you know. Uh, you have competitions within your, uh, within your company with other, with other friends you have. Um, the, the bottom line is, guys, you, you, if, if you're going you know, to survive at the rates that we're going to be looking at, you have to lower your cost. And if fuel is your number one cost, that's where we need to start. And also, fuel is an easy one to affect because it's just decisions. Everything we've talked about today, with the exception of maybe tires, and even those are a decision. But a lot of this stuff is just changing your habits you're doing right now, and that doesn't cost any money to buy fuel at the right place. Right. That doesn't cost anything, okay? Uh, some of the things we talked about with, uh, you know, like the scan gauge, 200 bucks. okay? The, the money you save in one week from buying fuel right will pay for that. Yeah. And just do, do you don't have to do it all at once. Do the little, do the easy stuff first. Maybe after six months, then you tackle the tires, you know, after you've already saved a lot of money for the other things. But the, the point is, if you can take your fuel costs down from in the 30% of your gross revenue down into the 20s, that will make a huge, huge difference in your bottom line. And we'll talk about the bottom line and the numbers, in, I think, in our next episode. Yeah. Um, but we wanted to get this because as we talk about this, fuel is such a big thing. We wanted to get this fuel thing out of the way first, uh, give you a chance to digest this. So that when we start talking about, you know, uh, uh, fixing y- y- your numbers, y- we don't have to go into fuel a- a- at that point in time. So, uh, Chris, have I left anything out? I don't think so. I, I was just going to make a note. We, we just got uh, my scan gauge in. I have it sitting on my dining room table right now. And my average for my truck right now, uh, I've, we've put about 15,000 miles on this truck, and I think my average for 15,000 miles is 7.1 at this point. And I'll be plugging up my scan gauge here in about an hour, and I'm going to take off on my first run. And so I will share some of that on the social media. I'll, I'll we'll kind of walk through that, and I'll be able to show everybody if I can make some improvements and, and I'm pretty confident that I can with the scan gauge and I'll kind of show you how I've set it up and, and got it plugged up in the truck. Uh, so th- this is this issue of fuel is so important in some respects. It can kind of hide itself from you. You know, the number of guys that I have talked to, and I say, what, what's your fuel mileage? That, the ones that either don't know or they'll give me a vague, uh, you know, six something, which in my mind I'm thinking, yeah, that'd be five. Because if you're telling me that you're 
somewhere in the sixes, but you don't know, then that tells me you're probably in the fives and you don't care. And I'll run into some guys and they'll be more precise. You know, well, I, I, you know, my average is 6.7. Okay. And then I'll say, well, what kind of tires do you have? And they look at me like I have three heads. What kind of oil do you use? What's your tire pressures? And, and again, they just dumbfounded that I'm asking these questions because they have no idea how that relates to the cost of their fuel and, and don't seem to care. I remember, I'll give you a little story, before I leased my first truck, I was driving for land air transport and I was doing a dedicated run for big lots. And I had a, I want to say it was a 2005 or 2006 International with an ISX. And they were constantly screaming at us about fuel mileage. And this truck, I, I even tried to drive it easy. It was, it was governed to 62 miles an hour, so I couldn't go fast. And I primarily ran Ohio and Michigan and Illinois. Uh, you know, I, I wasn't in mountains. And this thing averaged like 5'2". And they constantly screamed about fuel mileage. And I said, I'm telling you, this truck won't get better than five. It just, it won't do it. So I left there to go to Anderson Trucking Service and I leased my 2007 Freightliner with a 14 liter Detroit and I took off. Well, this was January of 2011. And I think I still on my Facebook, I'm, I might have a picture of that receipt. And I went and filled the truck up at the pilot in St. Cloud. First time I've ever filled a truck up on my own, and it was like three, gosh, I want to say 375 a gallon or something. It was ridiculous. It was just this enormous amount of money. And so I picked up a load, and I think I went to Florida. And now that my butt was on the line, I was a whole lot more interested in how much fuel that truck burned. Well, I got like seven, six, you know, on that first trip. I had a light load. But I didn't drive the truck hard. I was really easy on it. And I got seven something. And it was probably a little immature. But I emailed the fleet manager, the young lady from Land Air. And I said, hey, just, you know, I said, this is probably really immature and childish, but I'm going to do it anyway. I just wanted you to know that I just drove this truck, you know, 1,200 miles and got 7.5. I told you it wasn't me. And fortunately, she, <laughs> she, she emailed me back with laughter. But I was instantly concerned about fuel mileage because I knew the more money I spent at Petro TA Pilot Flying J, the less money I sent to the house. If you don't care about fuel mileage in the long run, you're really not going to have to worry about it because you're going to be out of business, especially in this market. You have to care about fuel mileage and you have to be concerned about it and you have to think about everything that you can do to affect that percentage of your revenue that is going out the stacks. So I guess that Well look at look at the efforts you would spend trying to raise your here here here's here's an interesting point, okay? And we'll get into this probably next time a little bit, but there's only two ways to uh to to um improve your business you know uh from from a financial standpoint and that's to increase revenue or lower cost okay now when you increase revenue you only get to keep of that 
the percentage that you make because you have expenses of that. If you make, if you if you raise your revenue a dollar, you've got cost involved with that because you've got to do the work. If you cut your costs a dollar, you get to keep the whole dollar. So lowering your fuel costs by fifteen thousand dollars is as effective as raising your revenue probably. I don't know, seven or eight times that, because whatever your percentage, uh, whatever your net profit percentage is of gross revenue. Yeah, that's a great point. So it's, it so it's it's not uh, it's not a little thing. Um, the um, um, the money that we're talking about, you would beat a a dispatcher or a broker over the head to make fifteen thousand more dollars in a year. Much less the the multiplying factor of that, it, because it's revenue, not cost. I mean, if if it, let's just say that you're you're twenty five. Let's just say your your business is twenty five percent profit of of gross revenue. That's sixty thousand dollars worth of revenue you'd have to make to make that fifteen thousand back. Okay. Right. Now, what would you do to raise your revenue sixty thousand dollars? Yet you'll go out here and you won't pay attention to where you buy fuel. And and you give away the the, the same amount of money the the fifteen thousand of that sixty, you're going to just give away to 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 the fuel companies by not paying attention to how you're buying fuel or not uh, um, driving or, or or specking your truck out to where it can improve fuel mileage enough to where you can save that fuel. So uh, just keep that in mind. A dollar uh, saved from cost is a dollar. A dollar made, you only get to keep your percentage of that that you typically profit because you've got expenses for that. Um, I'm looking at my notes, Chris. I, I, on back on tires, I did want to make one mention about low pro uh, twenty two fives. You know, if you guys are not running low pro tires, if you're running eleven Rs, or especially if you run twenty four fives, if you do get into a situation where you're buying tires, I highly recommend. That you not be running tall rubber unless there's a unless there's a, 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 a specific need for that because of the type of operation you're in. But if you just bought a truck and just happen to have 24 fives on it or it's got 11 R's on it, you do not replace those tires with those. Go to low pro 22 fives uh, because that is going to give you a better rolling resistance tire. Uh, fuel the fuel com is much better on low pros than all that tall rubber and also. Uh, the tires are cheaper. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, let me remind everyone again of the hotline number. That's 413-248-7825, 413-24-TRUCK. You can send us an email, chris at blueribbonlogistics.com or larry at blueribbonlogistics.com. Uh, we are on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash Driver. Facebook.com slash Blue Ribbon Logistics. And we have a website for the company as well, blueribbonlogistics.com. We also want to let everyone know that we are looking for drivers. We have uh, we have a truck uh, available, and we would like to find someone that could come in and partner with us and earn while they learn. This is an opportunity to come in and learn the Landstar system Without very much risk, uh, our drivers are paid well on a percentage, 
And this is how you can come in and experience the Landstar system for yourself and learn all of these principles that we talk about and how to save fuel and how to do your accounting and how to build relationships with customers so that when you come to the point that you want to have your own truck, you are prepared and not lost in a fish out of water like I was. You know, I had to learn everything the hard way. Uh, so we, uh, if you go to our website, you can see a, a button to click there. It says drive for us. You can put some information in there and make contact with us. Uh, but we'd love to hear from you uh, because we're looking for, and we're, listen, let me just put this disclaimer in there. We're looking for a specific kind of driver. You know, just having driving experience is not really enough. You have to have an attitude of service. You have to be willing to put the needs of the customer ahead of your own needs because that's what it takes to be successful as an owner-operator and to run a business. Being able to turn and, and, and back up and shift gears is, is about 15% of what it takes. It takes an attitude of service. And uh, so if you have an attitude of service and you're willing to uh, put the work and the time in that it takes, uh, go to the website, fill out the form, and let's have a conversation about coming and driving one of our trucks. Larry, anything you want to add to that? Well, we'll, we'll teach you everything you need to know uh, to be successful. We'll even help you along the way. Uh, we'll, um, you know, we'll, you'll know when you're ready, and uh, we'll, um, you know, we'll mentor you. And uh, I mean, we have several people right now that have, you know, that are at Landstar that are independently. Um, you know, they're BCOs on their own now after having gone through uh, this program. And, um, you know, I, I talked last time about how 9 out of 10 first-timers fail. Uh, I haven't had one fail yet that I'm aware of. Aware of. So uh, if we can um, lower that learning curve, help you get into this business the right way, um, and like you said, at, at, at really no risk to you, um, then uh, it's uh, it's a heck of a deal. But we are very very particular about who we hire, and we want to make sure that you know that you're a reflection of what we're trying to do here. And the main thing is we want someone that has desire, and uh, we want you to make great money, uh, and we want you to um, you know to be very very successful. But there is a uh, uh, there's a lot of responsibility that goes along with that, and so you have to understand that we just don't give the money away. It uh, you know, it's uh, uh, it, it's it's definitely a, a um, um, you know, it, it, the main thing is just is just willingness to learn, willingness to put into um, practical application the things that we teach. Yeah, and then and that's really all there is to it. All right, we'll end it on that one. Uh, everyone, be safe, and we will talk to you next time. Goodbye, everybody.